All right, hi everyone. It is really delightful to have all of you. We, um, let, me, let me take you on, on my mental journey over the last few days. As you know, we are in, we, we were traversing through uh, Acts chapters one through four, got to four, end of four and said, you know what? We're gonna push the pause button here. There is so much content about the person of the Holy Spirit and we were just rushing it by. And so we thought, look, why don't we just push the pause button and just go back and let's revisit every moment in which God the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the book of Acts. Now, those of you who are less acquainted with the scriptures, the Acts of the Apostles was written by a doctor called Luke and he accounts for mostly two things. One, the early church just after Jesus passed and then secondly, the life of Paul, the great author, entrepreneur, businessman, and apostle. And uh, so it's this incredible discovery of the first 60 or so years of the church. But the problem is we can rush it by as an historical journey rather than encounter it as a personal existential experience. And so we push the pause button. And then this week, I was mulling over this idea and I thought, you know, what we are doing is not a linear explanation of the, are you guys looking for some chairs? AJ, maybe you can help. There are people wanting some space. There are chairs here in the third row. I can be head usher. I can be usher. Well, not really, not really. I can't slip on rollerblade. Um, so, and so I thought, you know, Let's have a look at it rather through two lenses. The one is the lens of a jigsaw. Lots of pieces. Let's see how they just join together. We don't know finally what the picture will look like, but we're gonna start adding pieces together. Or secondly, as a diamond. Let's hold it to the light and let's see the different angles. And they tell me, people way cleverer than I am, uh, some of what the angles afford by way of the beauty and the wonder and purity of the stone. So I thought, well, that's a really good way to do it. What about tonight? It's so easy for us, guys and gals, to get into the ritualistic rhythms of repetition. What we did last Sunday, we will do next Sunday, we'll do Sunday after that. Now that's not necessarily bad. I mean, God gives us a Monday and then a Tuesday. We don't go Monday to Thursday, Tuesday, Sunday. There is a rhythm of God's order. However, within each day there's beauty and wonder and uniqueness. And as I was mulling over tonight, I thought, you know what? I would prefer, I think God's in it. I'm hoping so. Let's flip it on its head. I'm gonna go through about six or eight scriptures very quickly not heavy teaching in the Greek and the Hebrew and the whatever. Let's just find some passages that open up the idea of God, the Holy Spirit, and then go into a time of uncluttered, unrushed worship at the back end. I always feel sorry for the worship people. They get you super early. They set up. We allow them two and a half songs, maybe three on a good Sunday. And if I'm short enough and not long-winded, we will do some worship at the back end. But all of you miss out on those great Tuesday evenings where there's no agenda, we clear the chairs out and we just worship. You see, our grassroots as a community was founded essentially on two things initially. One, 
was we ate together at our house. If you're a newbie and you come to dinner tonight, you'll see our house. That's where we began. But the second thing was worship. That's all we did for the first while. We just ate together and worshipped and then we told some stories. So I thought tonight we're going to have those three things. God is being curious. I sat here on, um, on Thursday with uh, Todd Proctor. We were hosting a pastor's lunch and we spoke about the wine of God that's beginning to flow. I had a call on Thursday from uh, Austin in Kentucky. Some of his leaders in his house church movement were pivotal leaders in the Asbury revival, as they call it. So interesting what God's on about. So interesting. We can't define it, articulate it. We can't even describe it well, but there's something happening and our language and vocabulary falter. In the last little while, we've had three interesting little moments. So I'm going to ask them to come up, ask that they be brief, because I want to take us to the Scriptures. Uh, Isaac and Noah, come and tell us briefly what happened. What did you guys do in Chicago? So Isaac is a freshman at Biola. You Vanguard types? He's one of your peeps. So what did you guys do, firstly, why? Yeah. So Isaac's family is in a season in their ministry where they're implementing a lot of values that are similar to what uh, a lot of us have learned here, like life around the table, um, inviting people into your home to worship. So they had, we had a worship night back in Chicago over Christmas. Um, informally. In, informally, yeah, just reached out to people, invited people on social media in the basement. Um, Isaac asked me to teach. He asked me and his mom to teach, which I have zero formal experience doing, like uh, testimony or preaching the gospel in any way. And I was really sitting with a text for a while that I really wanted to talk about. And I didn't have the words in the way that I typically have them, which is writing them out and reading them out clearly what I've written. And I was talking with his sister about what I want to say and how it's so disjointed. And she was like, I feel like God just maybe wants you to just like get up there and ask the Holy Spirit to give you the words to say. And it went a-okay. Um, it was... A little better than A-okay. It was, uh, it was great, great yeah, message. Yeah. Like a B plus? Yeah. A minus. A <laughs> it was... Um, and it, it reminds me of like Luke 12, I think that's when Jesus is talking about when you're um, experiencing persecution, the Holy Spirit will come and give you the words when, when the time comes. And I think that goes for any gift that we have. We still have to put in work and structure, but, you know, it was a beautiful moment of experiencing that. Isaac has learned. Yeah, and I'll just say like through the word that Noah gave and that my mom gave, there was like a move of the Spirit that I haven't really seen like while someone's preaching, but it was like people began to kind of like experience God in a really tangible way that maybe they weren't familiar with, like the spirit moving. And then we would move into <clears throat> a time of worship. And I think that there was a bit of hesitancy in the worship to like allow the spirit to continue to move. And God's a gentle God. So he, he listens, and, like waits on us. And so it's just like an encouragement of like, allow the spirit to move, like don't have hesitation, but be like boldly excited about like what you want God to do. And yeah, just excited to see that here. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you, thank you. 
And then, some of you won't know that Meryl and I are, are walking with about 18 residents uh, through until May and just doing life together around the table and looking to see what God wants to do with us, Claire and Kyle. So uh, last week, we were in Kauai, Meryl and I, we are looking to partner with a farm there to do a kind of three-month training for young leaders, 18 to 24. Went really well, I'll tell you about that another time. But I said to the residents, why don't you guys just get together under these two, let them captain the moment, and uh, let's see what God does. So, who wants to go first? Yeah, it was um, a really rad night. Yeah, Chris and Meryl weren't there, so we were kind of just heading the ship, seeing where the Spirit led. And, you know, we, we've been on this theme of, of consecration and holiness, and we kind of set the night by starting out with some worship and then reading um, some scripture and people shared, and it was really powerful. I just sense a zeal um, with the, the group of people and the leaders and the action that they want to take. It's a breeding ground for uh, action. I feel like there's this um, separation, this, intellect, this intellectual aspect of the church where we know the Bible really well, but we don't go out and do the, the work. And I feel like I sense the work wanting to be done in this group. Um, so it was a really beautiful um, moment. And Claire ended it with a great prayer uh, activity. I was supposed to plan prayer and then everyone was like, we know you have something planned, but like maybe we could do this. And I was like, totally like I'll be flexible. Like I had nothing planned. Um, no, but it was really cool actually because we ended up just getting, well, we prayed kind of together as a group and then we got in small groups. Um, and I think it was just really powerful kind of even to what Kyle's saying to see people leaning into more of like what the Holy Spirit is doing. And I know even, um, the group that I was praying with, we had somebody who was talking about like, oh yeah, I have this thing. I've like kind of been thinking about like, it would be awesome to get healed. And we were like, totally, totally. And I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> wait, should we pray for you for healing? Is that like crazy? And it actually was like the Lord did heal and like things really happened. And so I think it was cool to even feel all of us like empowered in those giftings, um, in that kind of a space. So yeah, it was really fun. Um, and really sweet. Beautiful. Thank you. So then... On Monday night, uh, this past Monday night, we had an all leaders, which is once a month, uh, those who are leaders, those who were leaders, those who could be leaders in the community. It's kind of a 40, 50 of us have a dinner together. But some of you know, I was in a hospital, I had a heart procedure. And so the team gathered, in spite of me, there's a theme here. Get me out the way, let's see what God does. So Dana, come and tell us a little what happened Monday night. There's a theme, Ben. I didn't know I was doing this. Um, we kind of had just a dinner together as we always do and then spent some time worshiping and storytelling and sharing. And I think what was consistent throughout all of the storytelling and all of the perspectives and what people were talking about was that God is, we know that he is with us, but there are times and seasons where it feels like he is truly moving amongst us. And I think what everyone was vocalizing was the sense of like, God, it, yes, God is with us, but he's moving amongst us. And for, for many of those in the group, it feels different. Um, and I think we're always nervous to put language to it or try to kind of 
I don't know, uh, define it, but there was this constant kind of sense of perhaps the Lord is doing something. And I think that the, the, the prayers kind of over and over were around, we want to be a holy people. We want to be consecrated. We want to be a people who are set apart. Um, and we want to be a people who know how to live in the fullness. Um, and the phrase that, that I've kind of been mulling over and we were talking around was, it says, Peter, full of the spirit. And I think the challenge to us as leaders, what if I put my name in there? What does that look like? Dana, full of the spirit. Kyle, full of the spirit. Hannah, full of the spirit. And so that's what we are kind of praying into and, and, and really mulling over. So we, Dana spoke a few weeks ago and uh, referencing a book on charismatic history, the history of the charismata, the Holy Spirit in the church for 2,000 years, the author found three things that seem to be consistent without, within every major God visitation. Now, you may be kind of freaked out a little bit by that language. Well, what does that mean? Well, if you look over the years, there have been key moments, strategic moments, where God comes and visits with His church in a more tangible way. Things happen, oftentimes, that are not orchestrated or defined. Most recently at the Wesleyan of University, Ash, Ashbury uh, on, in Kentucky, is it, uh, Ty? Yeah. And it was just a normal chapel. It was just a normal chapel. In fact, the young guy who was supposed to preach hadn't prepped, did a really bad job, and uh, the presence of God came and wouldn't leave in, in, in such a way that people had to go to class but would go to class and think, no, I've got to go back. Now, we are talking about a Christian university, and if you've been to Vanguard and Biola, you know how exhausting chapels are. Yeah. And, but something happened. They started running back to the chapel. In fact, some of the professors closed the classes down so the students could go back there. The story that came out behind it was there'd been a, a couple of Professors, alumni, I think, who spent time for about 10 years driving the town, crying out to God that God would come and visit with them as a university. It had such an impact, and it only ran for a few weeks. But people, I, I read of an Argentinian couple who sold their only car to buy a ticket to go because there's a hunger and a thirst. Where God is, they said, we want to be. And so Dana's point from this historian was that three things seem to happen when God the Holy Spirit visits. One is that it's premeditated with tons of prayer. High value. It's amazing to me. I was sitting here and uh, on Thursday and the guys were just talking about what they're doing. And one of the, the brothers from Compton said, actually, we are in a 40-day prayer and fasting time. We spread it out over a period of time. But we are praying and fasting, they said, in LA. Then um, uh, one of the other churches, I forget which now, saying, actually, we have been doing it for two weeks where every hour of every day is accounted for people coming to pray, people just like you and me. We're not talking monks and, and mystics. We are talking about ordinary people like you and me who are saying, I want to pray. There is an urgency in my heart to do that. And so there are many other examples. The second thing that happens very consistently is consecration. Again, a big Bible word, but it really means separated to holiness. I want to give time to clean my life out of all the clutter and gunk, and I want God the Holy Spirit to come into a pure vessel. 
And that oftentimes leads to very public repentance. The first great awakening, Jonathan Edwards, 1767, I think it was. He preached, I'm told he was a very boring speaker, in the lamplight in a barn. He read his message, having very thick glasses, hardly able to see. So it was not charismatic. It was not um, highly compelling kind of uh, TV stuff. He was reading like this. And as he was reading, people felt themselves sliding into hell. And they grabbed the poles and they grabbed the chairs. Please, please don't let us slide in. We confess our sin. Now, that is not humanly possible when you've got a boring preacher with thick glasses leaning over a piece of paper that he can hardly read. And the conviction of God came upon those people that affected the then Americas. And the third... Prayer consecration is a yielding. It's a surrender. Lord, not my will, but yours. Oh, that sounds familiar. Yes, it is. It is Jesus. Exactly the same. He prayed. He consecrated himself. And he yielded. Not my will, but yours be done. Now, we have an option. We can say, no, that's too hard. That, that's too much. I, I don't, I don't want to do that. I just want a pleasant bit of Christianity that splashes my life so I'm not as bad as I used to be. Or I can beautifully surrender a healed, consecrated life of prayer and see what God will do. Folks, I don't know about you, but I read global newspapers every day, which I'm sure you don't. But there's not a whole lot to be encouraged by. But prayer. And every major moment of of historical significance when implosion and chaos seems to be on the horizon. It's the prayer of the few that changes the destiny of the many. Do you want to be part of the few? 120 people in the upper room. I don't know how many we've got here tonight, probably a little bit more than that. What was amazing about them? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. But they did those three things. They prayed. They consecrated themselves and they yielded. Matthias was appointed as the 12th apostle. They yielded themselves. So I just want to walk you through some scriptures quickly because I really would love us to enjoy God in worship together. So if you've got your Bibles, I have not got slides tonight. I actually made them and I thought, no, we're not going to use slides tonight. It just didn't seem appropriate. Acts chapter 2, please. If you haven't got your Bible, just close your eyes and enjoy the fragrance of beautiful literature. It's sacred. It says, Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together. They were all together. They were all together in one place. This destroys every argument. Well, you don't need a church. I don't need a community. I don't need to hang on Sundays. It destroys that. Because it's one of the ways in which we can pray, consecrate, and heal ourselves. But let's keep reading. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled, filled, filled. Watch that word over and over again. The whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them, all who were together, all who were together in one place, all of them were filled With the Holy Spirit. That's what Dana said. There is an inner yearning, an inner longing. Oh God, come and fill me. And then down to, let's pick up in verse 17. Peter gets up and he says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit. If you wish, I will fill my people with my spirit. 
Sons and daughters will prophesy. Young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. Even on my sons and my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Now, let's walk through the scriptures quickly. Now you can just listen because I don't think you'll be able to keep up. I've got mine all nicely marked. Not very elegantly, but definitely wonderfully. It's interesting, isn't it, that the first time the Holy Spirit is mentioned is in Acts chapter 1 where God says, Hi, my name is God. I am an artist. I create. The second time we hear of God the Holy Spirit is this passage. Then the Lord said to Moses, so we know it's during the exit from Egypt to the promised land. Then the Lord said to Moses, see, I have chosen Bezalel. He's the son of many guys. And here it comes. I have filled him with the Spirit of God. Now, but hang on. Why? Why? He's not a prophet. He's not a preacher. He's not a worship leader. Well, what does he do? It says, filled him with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and bronze, to cut and to set stones and to work in wood and engage in all kinds of craft. I love that. The second time God the Holy Spirit fills a moment, the first being creation, the second is with an artist. All too often we identify this type of Christianity with a meeting that goes into E minor, the lights dim, and everyone goes into a quasi-Buddhist kind of mode. You know, mm. but, but, but here is an artist at work and God says, I'm going to fill you with my Holy Spirit. I'm going to make you wise. I'm going to give you understanding and I'm going to give you all kinds of skill. Let's have a look at the next one. Here we have then, and they're not necessarily all of the places. I just want you to pick up who God fills with his spirit. The second one is in Numbers chapter 11. And Moses says, hey God, leading these two million people is just too much. You lead a table community of seven, try leading two million and he says, God, I, I can't do this. This is way, way, way too big. And so God says to him, listen, what I want you to do is I want you to get 70 people. Choose 70 for yourselves. So this is a new leadership model. And he says, I'm going to, and I'll pick up in verse 24. And so Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. And he brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent. So the first is an artist. The second are leaders. And the Lord came down in a cloud and spoke uh, with him and he took some of the power of the Spirit on him. Here's the visual. God takes some of the Spirit that's on Moses and he puts it on the 70. Cool moment. Cool moment. And he put it on the 70 elders and the Spirit rested on them and they prophesied. Well, that's an interesting introduction. But then... The next verse says, however, two men whose names were Eldad and Medad had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but did not go up to the tent. Yet the Spirit also rested on them and they prophesied. Oh, I love this. So not only does God choose an artist to fill with his Spirit, leaders to fill with his Spirit, but he also chooses to fill two forgotten men with his Spirit. And they prophesied. Are you picking up what's happening here? 
One more. Saul in uh, 1 Samuel. Saul was a young guy. Israel cried out to God for a leader. God, we need a king. We need a king. God warns them this will not go well. This is historical fact. And, um, but they said, no, no, we want a king. We want a king. And so Saul, Samuel identifies this young leader. I'll, I'll pick up in verse 5. Samuel says to him, after that you will go to Gebeah of God where there is a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you will meet a procession or a company or a school of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, timbrels, pipers, harpers being played before them and they will be prophesying and the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully on you and you will prophesy with them and you will be changed into a different person. Do you understand when the Spirit of God does something, things happen. The artist produces a far finer work. I was mesmerized in uh, Florence at the work of Michelangelo. And when I read up about it, even more so, what a believer he was, believing that God, the golden artist, would, would create his hands to call out the form out of marble. Absolutely compelling. Then God identifies these 70 elders. He puts some of Moses' spirit on them. And then the two forgotten guys says, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fill you in. Do you feel neglected sometimes, forgotten? You know, Chris chooses Isaac and Noah. Uh, Noah because he's good looking and Isaac. And, and then, you know, um, I just needed a funny moment. I'm sorry, Isaac. I like your twirly hair. I, I, I think it's great. And when you play the sax with twirly hair, that is so cool. But, but now there's this young emerging leader. He's just like you. He doesn't want to be king. He wants nothing to do with all of this. And the, 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 the prophet says, listen, man, this is what's going to happen. You're going to stumble into this company of prophets. You're going to prophesy and you're going to be different from that moment of time onwards. David, are you still with me? All right, David, Psalm 51, right in the middle of the Bible. David was a king, a psalmist, a warrior, a soldier. It was when Israel had its biggest property, land mass. He was a remarkable man, musician and songwriter. But it's interesting. I'll read it to you. Psalm 51, create in me a pure heart. Doesn't that sound familiar like consecration? Renew a steadfast spirit in me. He says, God, I can't trust this wicked heart of mine. Man, it doesn't go after you in a big way. It gets distracted by other stuff. Can, can, you, can you deal with my heart? But, but don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Isn't that extraordinary? Of everything the king could have prayed for, he said, there's only one thing, please. Don't let your spirit leave me. Moses said the same when they were going across into the land of promise. He said, please don't send us if your spirit doesn't go with us, whether you're an artist or a leader or a forgotten one, whether you are an emerging nothingness like Gideon. Please, please don't choose me. Please, please don't choose me, Gideon said. I'm, I'm, I'm the youngest, I'm the least in my family. Our clan is the least in, uh, of the tribe of Manasseh. Please don't choose me. Actually, I'm a coward. I'm, I'm, I'm treading corn in a wine press. I'm hiding. This is illegal. I can't, shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Please choose someone else. And the angel 
put the Spirit of the Lord on Gideon. And you know, it's one of the cries even of the Israeli army, and this is not a political statement, this is a statement of Scripture, that oftentimes certain companies or battalions go into battle and they will shout, the sword of Gideon and of the Lord. Wow. Soldiers, depending on the Holy Spirit. Artists, depending on the Holy Spirit. The forgotten leaders, depending on the Holy Spirit. Those who don't even want to be leaders, depending on the Holy Spirit. Jesus, depending on the Holy Spirit. You still with me? Told you it wasn't going to be like normal tonight. I just want to walk you through Scripture. I just want to let Scripture speak for itself. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan. Why? Why did he have to be full of the Holy Spirit? Well, he knew what was coming. He was going to fight the devil. He had 40 days of anarchy, of chaos, of doubt, of anxiety, of fear. Mind, emotion, body, soul, calling. Everything is under the grab as the enemy comes against him. Now you and I have had that. You've had that night, haven't you? Where you just can't sleep. And the enemy, next morning at 9, 10 o'clock after your coffee and whatever you have, a bagel, you don't feel that so much. But for 40 days, nonstop, no food, beaten up. Jesus had to go into the war full of the Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit. And then verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of, what are you facing? This week I had to face my heart. This week I had to be rolled into an OR room, look at all the machines, had a, had a, a CAT scan the day before. They were going to put a camera down my throat to see if I've got any clots in. If I did around my heart, they couldn't perform the procedure. And I lay there as the anesthetist put that kind of gas on, whatever, whatever they were doing. And I felt myself going and I just say, Jesus, I'm in your hands. Holy Spirit, this is you now. When I open my eyes, I'm either going to see my wife or I'm going to see Jesus. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Holy Spirit in the power of the Holy Spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not just some interesting, curious theological conversation with big words. This is ordinary people, and Jesus was an ordinary person at that moment in time, facing ordinary things just like you and me, fear, anxiety, concern, trauma, stress, pressure, and the Spirit of God came and filled them. Peter stood with, with the eleven and raised his voice. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Remember Moses said, oh, I would that all of God's people prophesy. It was a prophetic dream. He hoped maybe one day, maybe one day, everyone will come under the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Joel saw it somehow from God touching individuals and filling them with the Holy Spirit. Suddenly there was this eye moment of, all God's people? 
No, well, you don't understand because church is kind of what guys do, okay? I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. They were filled with the spirit. Saul was filled with the spirit and he prophesied. Eldad and Medad were filled with the spirit and they prophesied. The elders were filled with the spirit and they prophesied. Acts chapter 4. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, what is happening here? He is under the whip. The Sanhedrin, the powers of the day, are putting them in the crosshairs. What shall we do with them? Shall we kill them, torture them, whip them, beat to them, imprison them? And it said, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are called to give an account today for an act of kindness... Filled. What are you facing? What am I facing? Well, we can't face it unless we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me move along quickly. I love this little one. Paul is on his way to Rome and he goes past Caesarea. I had a very moving moment, Meryl and I did when we were in Heropolis a few years ago, which is a, a, a ruin of an ancient city. And my heart had just gone out, so they went up the hill to where Philip lived while they were in Heropolis. And the little chapel that's built there now, and I kind of sat on a stone on what would have been the highway of the day, just stunned by the absolute wonder of these remarkable men and women. Think about it for a moment. Is there any moment in human history that has been such a hinge? 120 people in an upper room. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. This should have died as a cult or sect as many others died. But think about it for a moment. Our time until recently was defined by that moment. Our economy was defined by that moment. Our politics, our religion, name anything. And it was 120 people in an upper room who could so easily have allowed this Jesus sect thing to implode into nothingness with all of its complexity. But they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they changed the world. I mean, I don't know about you, man. I love history and that blows my mind. Just like this. Just like this. In fact, we're more educated than they were. We went to more colleges than any of them went to. Paul came later, having stood under the, the rabbi Gamaliel. Just, just like us. And the Spirit of God came upon them and filled them and they changed the way the world is run. The judicial systems, certainly of the Western world, the political systems, everything is different because of a hinge moment where a group of people were filled by the Holy Spirit. Now you understand why I am so jolly passionate I don't have hope for America. But for the people of God to be filled by His Spirit, what can God do then? He did it in the first awakening, great awakening. He did it in the second great awakening. He's done it with the third wave. He did it through the Pentecostal movement with a semi-blind black man in Azusa Street in LA. He changed the world. I think there's something like over six million Pentecostals globally, largely, but not exclusively, because of a black man who would stand, forgive the, 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 the racial reference, 
But he was so hungry for God, he was in the south and was not allowed to attend a white church. They brought him a chair outside the window so he could hear the preaching and he could hear what God was doing, but he was not allowed in. But his hunger overcame his cultural obstacles. He chose not to be offended and irritated by the overt racism. And then God said, come, we're going to go to L.A. And the Pentecostal revival flooded the globe. Why? A man who prayed, a man who consecrated, and a man who healed it. Every reason to be spitting mad with the church. But his hunger for Jesus overcame his sociopolitical offences. One more. Ephesians chapter 5. And among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are, not, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this you can be sure, no immoral, no impure, no greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Here it comes. Be careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. And you know me, I, before my heart went out, I loved a scotch. I'm not anti-drink. But that's not what this text is saying. It's not a proof text that Christians shouldn't drink. This is a proof text that there is something more compelling, that drives me more. I know what it's like at the end of the day to want a cold IPA. If I've had a particularly difficult week to pour myself a deep, rich Cabernet Sauvignon, and when I'm feeling super elegant to dump a couple of shots of scotch on ice and to sit there sipping, feeling ever so elegant in the craziness of ministry. But something is more compelling than that. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit. Singing, make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God. I'll read that again. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to close your eyes with me, please, if the band could join me. That's if you are a band, a collection of musicians and instruments. I want you to close your eyes, please. Thank you for being gracious. Thank you for letting us flip things around a little bit tonight. Holy Spirit. You're always here, but there are times you are here more fully. The manifest sense, the tangible sense of your presence coming amongst us. It could be when the artist is painting Michelangelo. 
It could be when the rulers are ruling and your spirit comes into that space with wisdom and understanding. It could be with Philip and his four daughters who prophesied. What a beautiful home that they grew up in the presence of God is so rich that they just couldn't help but going there. You want a word from God? Absolutely. Go to Philip's house, man. Those girls of his, they rock. They're not worried about TikTok or Instagram or something. They are compelled by the Holy Spirit and they prophesy. You want to go and sit with them and watch and see what God does? I think it's a good idea. Open your hands, if you don't mind, just on your lap. I hope it doesn't sound bossy. It's not intended to. But something happened in what we call Acts 2 that changed the world, the political landscape, judicial landscape, economic landscape, relational landscape, religious landscape. Something happened with a group just like us, youngsters, David said, please, whatever you do, whatever you do, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. What did he know? What did Philip know about raising daughters that they prophesied? What did Eldad and Medad know? The forgotten leaders that you saw them and you knew them. fill us better than a wine a scotch a cold IPA better better than better than psalms and hymns and spiritual songs be filled with His Holy Spirit Genesis Costa Mesa podcast. To find more information about our community, feel free to visit our website, www.genesiscostamesa.com, or find us on social media at Genesis Costa Mesa.